0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Scouting God podcast. In this podcast, we're going to try to read all the merit badge books that Scouting has to offer. In this episode, we are going to be continuing going over the second-class rank requirements. Now, let's just jump right into it. Requirement 2A says, On one campout, plan and cook one hot breakfast or lunch. Selecting foods from my plate or the current USDA natural model. Explain the importance of good nutrition. Demonstrate how to transport, store, and prepare the foods that you have selected. Planning and camping meals. With good planning, you can take enough food on a trip so that everyone in your patrol eats well and there are a few leftovers to pack out. You will also know which pots and pans and utensils to carry and whether you'll be cooking over a camp stove or a campfire. Begin making meal plans by answering the following questions. How many scouts are going to be on the trip and how long will it be away from home? Decide on the number of meals that you will need and who will be eating together. A patrol is often just the right size for organizing the food and cooking gear for a haiku camping trip. Scouting cookbooks usually base recipes on 8 servings. If the number of servings in a recipe does not match the number of people eating, scale the recipe up or down as needed. For example, if the recipe serves 4 and you have 8 people along, double the amount of each ingredient. Are there any special food needs? Discuss the special food needs with patrol members. You may have some members who are vegetarians or vegans, who don't eat certain foods for religious or health reasons, or who have food intolerance or allergies. Scouts with severe allergies may need to bring their own food. The BSA-specific guidelines for helping keep participants with food allergies safe during meals can be found in the scouting safety section of scouting.org. What do we have planned? For days full of activities, choose recipes that won't take long to prepare and that will give you plenty of fuel. If you have time to make cooking on the focal point of a campout, take ingredients to put together meals that are special. You could even arrange a cook-off between patrols where teams of scout chefs compete to create a feast using the same set of random ingredients. How will we reach camp? Backpackers can keep their loads lighter by planning simple menus of non-perishable ingredients. These are usually dehydrated, making them very light. When you will be traveling in your campsite by car, you can bring along griddles, fresh and canned foods, and even charcoal briquettes for a tasty Dutch oven meal. What weather do we expect? Winter meals should contain more fats and carbohydrates. Your body burns these substances to help you keep warm include mixtures of for soups and hot drinks to warm you up, summer meals can be lighter. Whatever the season, menus should include plenty of fluids. Who is what is her budget? Sorlearn steaks will cost more than ground beef. Out of season fruits and vegetables may cost more than they do in season, and probably won't taste as good. Prepared foods typically cost more than those you create from scratch. Plan a menu that fits your budget and shop carefully to keep costs down. Food Allergies and Intolerance Food allergies happen when the body's immune system thinks a harmless food poison is a threat and attacks it. Food intolerances don't involve the immune system, but they can still cause serious symptoms. The most common source of food intolerance are lactose, which is found in dairy products, and gluten, which is found in most breads. If someone in your patrol has food or allergies intolerances, talk with the scout and their family about necessary steps for safety. The best thing to do, of course, is to avoid using food items that will cause the problems. Usually, you can find an alternative food in the same food group like pineapples instead of apples or chicken instead of shellfish. Be sure to check the ingredient labels carefully because problem foods can be hidden in unlikely places. For example, gluten can show up in soup, salad dressing, soy sauce, and sausage, as well as in many foods that don't start with an S. Look for words like wheat, barley, rye, graham flour, malt, brower's yeast, ramen, salmonella, and spelt. Beyond avoiding the problem of foods, it is important to avoid cross-contamination. If you are making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, don't dip a knife that has been in the peanut butter jar into the jelly jar. Food for the outdoors. Depending on the sort of trip you're planning, you can take along all sorts of food. In fact, just about anything in the grocery store can find a spot in your menu. Here are some meal ingredients that you can choose for the outdoors. Fresh. Fresh food has the most flavors and nutrition of any items. However, they can also be heavy, easily damaged, and prone to spoiling. Some, such as fresh meats, can be kept cool until you are ready to cook them. Carrots, apples, and certain cheeses will last longer, though most fresh foods are best used on short-term trips or while in the car camping rather than during longer backpacking adventures. Non-perishable. Pasta, beans, oatmeal, rice, flour, grains, and other foods that won't spoil are ideal for short-term and long-term camping. Sword plastic bags, they can be stored in a backpack or duffel bags or on canoes and rafts. Dried slash dehydrated. Much of the weight of many food is water. Dehydrated food has most of the water removed from it. So does it makes it very light and just right for the backpackers. Camping stores sell complete camp meals that require only the addition of boiling water, but you can also find many dehydrated items at grocery stores such as dried milk, cocoa mix, potato flakes, and soup mixes. Making Healthy Choices What you eat plays an important role on how healthy you are. Plan balanced meals that are heavy on fruits and vegetables and light on high-fat proteins such as hot dogs, sausages, and bacon. Also, avoid empty calories that come from the added sugar in drink mixes and many processed foods like sugar, sweetened cereal. Canned. Many foods can be purchased in cans. Canned food is very heavy to carry, and the empty containers must be packed out for recycling or proper disposal. This is not a problem when you are driving to a campsite. Sometimes an ingredient, such as a can of peaches, for a special dessert might be worth the effort it takes to carry to your trail camp. Just don't forget a can opener. Convenience. Every supermarket has dozens of convenient foods that are ready to eat or quick to prepare. Those you might want to carry to try are the pasta sauce mixes, biscuit and pancake mixes, jerky and energy bars. The next requirement is requirement 2F. Demonstrate tying the sheet band knot. Describe a situation in which you would use this knot. Sheet band. The sheep end is the preferred knot for tying together two ropes of the same size or different diameters. It is a close relative of the bowline and can be entired in the same way. 1. Make a bite of the end of the thicker rope and hold it with the one hand. Pass the running end of the other rope through the bite and take out the under around and behind the bite. 3. Bring the end across the front of the bite and tuck it under its own standing part, so that both rope ends emerge on the same side of the knot. 4. Tighten the knot by holding the bite and pulling the standing part of the smaller line. The next requirement is requirement 2G Demonstrate tying the bowline knot. Describe a situation in which you would use this knot. Bowline. The bowline forms a loop that will not slip. That's what you want for tying a rope around your waist or around someone else requiring a rescue. A bowline also works well for securing guidelines through the grommets on a tent or dining fly. It is also easy to untie. Learn to tie the bowline around yourself, around a post, and in the free end of a rope. With practice, you can even tie it with one hand. 1. Make a small overhand loop in the standing part of a rope. 2. Bring the rope up through the loop around and behind the standing part and back down the loop. The amount of rope remaining below the loop determines the size of the fixed loop in the finished bowline. Bring the working end back down through the overhead loop so it exits the knot towards the inside of the fixed loop. Tighten the knot by pulling the standing part of the rope away from the loop while holding the bite. Alternative Bowline Here is another way to tie the bowline. Try both methods and see which one is easier for you or works for you. 1. Form two bites in the rope and hold one in each hand. Two. Pass the bite in your right hand and over the right, over the bite in your left hand. 3. Pass the running end in your right hand under the standing end and then pull up through the loop in your left hand. Tighten the knot. To untie the bowline, turn the knot over. Notice the collar-shaped bite of rope in the bowline. To untie the knot, push the collar away from the loop as if you were opening the top of a soda can. That will break the knot so that you can loosen it. Next section is navigation. 3a. Demonstrate how to compress works and how to orient a map. Use a map to point out and tell the meaning of the five map symbols. Tools of Navigation Many scout hikes will lead you upon trails you know well, but sometimes you'll want to take off for places that you have never visited before. Whenever you go, you can find your way with the help of the tools of navigation, maps, compasses, and GPS receivers maps. From an airplane, you can look down and see roads, rivers, forests, cities, and towns. A map is like a painting of the land. Since manpakers can't include every detail, they choose the information that hope will be valuable to anyone using the map. You're probably familiar with all sorts of maps, including country maps that will appear in world atlases, and road maps you can access on paper, online, or through the smartphone apps. To navigate the backcountry, you will use a topographic map. While roads maps focus on man-made features such as roads, topographic maps focus on natural features such as hills, mountains, rivers, and vegetation. Although they show man-made features as well, they also show elevation, which is useful in finding the easiest routes to your destination. The United States Geological Survey, or USGS for short, has created more than 800,000 different topographic maps to cover the entire United States. Sporting shops and camping stores often sell topographic maps of nearby recreation areas. With your parents' permission, you can also download topographic maps that show just the area you need and highlight exactly the features that will be useful when you are in the field. Understanding Topographic Maps The best way to read a topographic map is to start at the bottom. There, you will find some important information that will help you make sense of the map. Directions First, look for an arrow pointing towards the true north. It will help you orient, or align, the map with your surroundings. North is towards the top of most maps. That means the bottom is south, the left side is west, and the right side is east. You may also see a second arrow pointing in the direction of a magnetic north, a location in Canada about 1,200 miles from the North Pole scale. The map will include a scale that compares the size of the map with the size of the area it represents. A map scale 1 to 24,000 shows the margin as 1,24,000 means 1 inch on the tap represents 2,000 feet on the ground. Maps that use this scale are sometimes called 7.5 miniature maps because they cover 7.5 minutes of latitude and 7.5 minutes of longitude distance. The map will also include several bar scales that you can use for measuring feet, meters, and miles on the map. The map state tells you when it was drawn or last updated. An older map will not show new buildings, roads, trails, or other recent changes on the land. Location The map's location will be identified on a small state map. You may also see a ge- geographic showing the names of the adjoining topographic maps. Decoding Map Colors the colors used on a USGS map are meaningful. Even if you don't know what a particular symbol means, you can make a good guess based on its color. Green indicates heavy vegetation, such as forests, woodlands, or, or orchards. White is used to show areas that are mostly clear of trees, such as fields, meadows, rocky slopes, and other open country. Blue means water. A patch of blue is usually a pond or a lake. A blue band is a river, and a blue blind is a stream. If the line is broken the stream represents its intermediate which means it does not flow all the time marshes and swamps are drawn with broken blue lines and tufts of grass the names of all water features are in italics black is used to show anything that is work of humans rail lines bridges boundaries and the name of landmarks are printed in black roads are shown as parallel black lines solid lines for paved and gravel roads broken lines for dirt roads A single broken line is a hiking trail. Black squares and rectangles are buildings. Solid black indicates inhabited buildings, such as houses, schools. A black outline indicates barns, sheds, and other uninhabited buildings. Brown is used for contour lines, which show the shape of the land. This area, represented on a map, may be full of hills, valleys, mountains, and plains. Contour lines let you identify these features. Contour lines. A contour line represents a specific elevation above a sea level. Each point on a contour line is at the same elevation. So, theoretically, you could walk along that line forever, without climbing or descending. The margin for a topographic map will indicate the contour intervals, which is the difference in elevation between contour lines. If the contour interval is 20 feet, for example, you would climb or descend 20 feet from the contour line to the next. You can tell whether elevations are going up or down by checking the index lines. Every fifth contour line is darker than the other four, indicates a number that represents its elevation. Find two index lines and you will be able to tell whether the slope between them goes uphill or downhill. A quick way to tell whether elevation is increasing or decreasing is to look for places where the streams cross contour lines. The contour lines will form these that point upstream. where contour lines are close together, hillside is steep, where they are far apart, the slope of the ground is less steep or nearly flat. Small circles represents the top of hills where small circles with lines pointing inward represents the bottom of depressions. Understanding contour lines. Here's a good way to understand contour lines. Make a fist with one hand. Your fist has contour line contour of length, width and height just like the land does. Holding your fist steady and looking at it from the s- side, draw a level circle around your highest knuckle. Washable ink will be easy to remove. Draw a second circle just below that one. Start a third line a little lower. Notice to stay in the level, the pen may trace around another knuckle before the third circle is closed. Continue to draw level circles, each one in the same distance beneath the last. The lines will wander in and out of the valleys between your fingers, over the broad slope on the back of your hand, and across the steep cliffs on your thumb. After the lines are drawn, spread your hand flat. Now, like a map, your hand has only width and length, but by looking at the contour lines you have drawn, you can imagine height too, and see the shape of your fist. Small circles show the tops of your knuckles. Lines close together indicate steep areas. Lines farther apart show the more gentle contour of the back of your hand. Understanding Road Maps Once you have mastered topographic maps, road maps will be easy to use. Like topographic maps, printed road maps usually include a legend, a small box that explains what words and symbols on the map means. For example, road maps commonly use different types Type sizes to show the relative population of cities. State capitals might be marked with a star, while country seats might be marked with a dot, with a circle around it. Road maps usually have an index of cities and other points of interest keyed into a grid system. Across the top and bottom edges of the map, you will see a series of letters. drawn to the right and left of edges, you will see a series of numbers. Let's say you want to travel to the town of Springfield, which the deck says appears at D7 on the map. Draw an imaginary line between the Ds on the horizontal map edges and another imaginary line between the 7s on the vertical map edges. Springfield lies within the box created at the intersection of those lines. Before using a road map to travel, you should orient it, which means making north on top align with the north on the ground. To do that... Figure out where you are and then find one nearby intersection is on the map. Hold the map so that the direction from you to the intersection is the same direction on the map is on the ground. You can also do this if the, on the map on the cell phone. Compasses. Until you can orient your map by making north on the map line with the north on the ground, you can't be sure that you're heading in the right direction. A compass is a tool for determining directions. How to use a compass. Many scouts use an orienteering compass like the one showed on the next page. It allows you to precisely demonstrate any heading. Let's say that you wanted to travel east with which is nine hundred degrees. You would follow these steps. 1. Rotate the compass housing until E or ninety lines up with the direction of travel arrow. Two Hold the compass flat in front of your stomach and turn your body until the north end of the magnetic needle, usually red, lines up with the north end of the orienteering arrow. 3. Travel in the direction that the direction of travel arrow points. Don't focus on the compass as you walk. You are liable to go off course and step in a hole. Instead, walk towards a landmark, such as a tree, that lies in the direction that you want to go. Compass technology Earth's magnetic field makes compasses work. Technology makes them useful. A simple ball compass points to north, but do not anything else. Imagine trying to use it to follow a heading of 37 degrees. An orienteering compass lets you set and follow the headings with ease. The compass shown here adds a mirror and a sight to make it easier to line up distant landmarks. You can adjust it to account for declination. Some models even include a claw meter for measuring angles of slopes. Compass Game Try following the challenges to test your skills using a compass and making measurements. 1. Put a stick into the ground beside your foot. Turn the housing on your compass to any bearing, 15 degrees for example. Orientate the compass, turn it so that magnetic needle and the orienting needle line up. And side along the direction of travel area to a landmark. Walk 100 feet towards it. 2. Add 120 degrees to your first bearing and set your compass again. In this example, 110 degrees plus 15 degrees equals 135 degrees. Take a second bearing and walk 100 feet in the new heading. 3. Add 120 degrees to the second compass setting. 120 degrees plus 135 degrees equals 255 degrees. And adjust the compass housing. Subtract 360 if your total is more than 360. Take a final bearing and walk 100 feet. If your bearing and pace measurements have been accurate, you should be standing near the stick where you started. Using map and compasses together. Once you understand the maps and have mastered the compass, you can now begin to use the two tools together. Doing so allows you to navigate through the backcountry on backpacking trips or canoe trips without getting lost. And if you do get lost, it allows you to try to figure out where you are and which way you need to go. Before you use map and compasses together, however, you need to understand the two norths and how to orient a map. Two norths. The maps you are most likely to use on scouting adventures are drawn with their tops aimed exactly at the north pole, or true north. You could say that maps are made to speak language of the true north. Compass needles, however, do not point to the true north. Instead, they are pulled towards the magnetic field, an area about 1,200 miles away from the North Pole that radiates a magnetic force strong enough to attract the metal point of a compass needle. Compass speak, magnetic north, a different language from that is used by maps. The magnetic north arrow on a map points towards magnetic north. The difference between true north and magnetic north is called declination and is measured in degrees. Errors in the bottom margin of many maps show the difference as degrees of declination. When you use a map and compass together, declination can enlarge errors. And as you take bearings and try to follow routes, avoid problems with declination by making adjustments to the map or compass so that they can speak in the same language. Adjusting a map for declination, the easiest way to decl- declination is to add magnetic north-south lines to your topographic map. One. Determine the declination for the area shown on the map. It will be indicated at the bottom of the map, but you can also look it up online. 2. If the declination is easterly, in other words, if you're west of the anonic line, set your compass to that heading, 12 degrees, for example. If the decalation is westerly, in other words, if you're east of the aeronautic line, subtract the declination from 360 degrees And set your compass to the heading, 360 degrees minus 9 degrees equals 351 degrees, for example. 3. Place the compass on the map so that one of the lines on the bottom of the compass housing lines up with the edge of the map. 4. Place a ruler next to the compass base plate. Draw a line along the ruler from the top of the map to the bottom. Unless the declination in the area has changed, the line should be parallel to the magnetic north arrow at the bottom of the map. If you'd like, you can draw a great of the parallel lines across the map. Now, whenever you need a north-south line, use the one that you have just drawn. If you don't want to draw magnetic north-south lines on your map, you can make adjustments on your compass as you go along. Simply add a westerly declination to each heading or subtract an easterly declination from each heading. To remember whether to add or subtract, memorize this phrase. East is least and west is best. Declination where you are. To find your lo- local declination, use the online magnetic declination estimator provided by the National Geophysical Data Center. With your parents' permission, go to www.ngdc.naa.gov/gmagweb and let your computer calculate the correct estimate value for magnetic declination. Decolation changes over time, so this handy calculator will give you a more accurate number than a printed topographic map. Orienting a map Orienteering a map means rotating it until the, it lines up with the landscape it depicts. Here are two ways to orient a map. Look around for landmarks such as building a bridge or perhaps the top of a hill. On your map, find the symbols for those features. Turn the map until the symbols line up with the landscape features that they represent. If you have a compass, rotate the compass housing until n, 0 degrees, touches the direction of travel arrow. Place the edge of the compass base plate along any side of the magnetic north-south lines on the map. Turn the map and compass unit until the compass needle lies directly over the orienting arrow in the compass housing. Next requirement that we have is requirement 3b. Using a compass and map together, take a 5-mile hike or 10 miles by bike approved by your adult leader and your parent or guardian. To read about this requirement, go to pages 340 and through 345 in your scouting notebook. Next up is requirement 3C. Describe some hazards or injuries that you might encounter on your hike and what you can do to help prevent them. Hiking safety. Whether you're cross-country hiking or hiking on trails, you should always watch where you place your feet to avoid slipping or twisting an ankle. Use bridges to cross streams. Wade through water only if there is no other way to go, and only if the water is shallow and the current is slow. Use your hiking stick or trekking pole to improve your balance as you cross. Before entering the water, release the hip, belt, and sternum strap of your backpack. That way, you can wriggle out of your pack if you fall in. If you come across the area that appears to be dangerous, make a detour or go back the way you came. Your safety is always much more important than reaching the destination of your hike. The next requirement we have is Requirement 3D. Demonstrate how to find directions during the day and at night without using a compass or an electronic device. Directions using the dark. Maps, compasses, and GPS receivers are useful, but for thousands of years, travelers managed to find their way with no navigation instruments at all. They used the stars as their guides to explore the world. People have long imagined the groups of stars formed in the shapes of warriors, animals, maidens, and monsters. Many of the names they give these constellations are still with us today. You can use a star chart, a map of the night sky, to find the constellations. With the stars to guide them, sailors of old crossed the seas, and explorers made their way to distant lands. You can use the stars to find directions at night too. North Star Method Urza Major is the ancient name for a constellation known as the Great Bear. The Big Dipper forms part of the Great Bear. Four bright stars from the Big Dipper's bowl and three more make up the handle. To find the North Star, also known as Polaris, train your eyes on the pointer stars of the Big Dipper. The two stars furthest from the Dipper's handle extend an imaginary line through them. The North Star is on that line at a distance of about five times the span between the two pointers. Earth's North Pole lies directly under the North Star. Push a two-foot-long stick into the ground. Hold a shorter stick such as a way that when you sight over the tops of both sticks you see the Northern Star. A straight line scratched between the sticks is true North-South line. Big Dipper Look closely and you might see in the middle of the stars in the Big Dipper's handle is really two stars. Mazar and Akalar. Some American Indians thought of the larger stars as a horse, the smaller as a rider. Look even more closely through a telescope, and you will see that Alakar is actually made up of two stars. Mazar is made up of four stars. Constellation Method. As you become familiar with the constellations, their locations will suggest general directions. Scorpio, for example, fills the northern sky in the summer. Orion rises in the southeast on winter evenings. The northern crown, which is shaped like a horse, opens towards the north. Cassiopeia circles the north star opposite of the Big Dipper. Even if you can't identify many constellations, you can determine general directions by watching which way the stars are moving at night. Likewise, the sun's stars rise in the east and sets in the west. The star on the right side of Odin's belt, Minica, Tracks almost exactly from the due east to the west. Finding direction using the sun and moon. The sun and moon rises over the eastern horizon and sets in the west. At other times of the day and night, use them to find directions using the watch method, the shadow stick method, or the equal length shadow method. Watch method. Hold an angle long watch level. Place a short straight twig upright against the edge of the watch at the point of the hand. Turn the watch until the shadows of the twig fills along the hour hand's position, that is, until the hour hand points toward the sun. Notice the angle formed between the numeral 12 and the shadowing line on the hour hand. A line from the center of the watch divides the angle in half, will point north. Note, this method requires standing time. If your watch is on daylight saving time, use the normal one instead of 12. Shadow Stick Method Pushing a straight stick into the ground, angle it towards the sun so that the stick makes no shadow. Then, wait until it casts a shadow at least 6 inches long. The shadow will be pointing east from the stick. A line at the right angle across the shadow will be north-south. This method will work as well as on nights, when the moon is bright enough to cause shadows to form. Equal Length Shadow Method In the morning, push a straight 3 foot long stick upright into the ground, Tie a string along the base of the stick with a bowline. Next, extend the string to the end of the stick's shadow. Tie a peg to the steering that the point is using it to scratch the circle along the ground around the stick. Push the peg into the ground where the tip of the stick's shadow touches the circle. In the afternoon, place another peg where the tip of the shadow again touches the circle. A straight line drawn between the peg is a west-east line. With the e- with the morning peg, a line drawn on the right angles across the west li- east line will be north-south. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Scouting Guide podcast. Next week, we will be continuing going over the second-class rank requirements.